Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Welcome to Top 5, a show where we count things down from number 5 all the way to number 1. This week on the show, I know we're just a little off from our spooky season uh, uh, release, but, you know, it wouldn't be Major Spoilers podcast if we weren't uh, always a little out of the norm. Uh, this week on the show, Top 5 Scary Comics. This is our 2022 edition. Everybody's here this time. Hello, uh, Matthew. Hello, Rodrigo. Hey. Hello, Stephen. Uh, what do you got, Matthew, for your number five scary comic? Ooh, I have actually been thinking about this. And when you say to me scary comics, it's tough for me to decide because I've read like way more comics than any sane person should. But um, recently, a friend far, far away and I have started um, basically watching a Netflix adaptation of one of my favorite comics of my youth. And we got to a point where they adapted one of the scariest comics I've ever read. And it reminded me of the fact that my number five, Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, uh, with 11 million different artists and other people, is one of the scariest books I've ever read. And I feel like we've done this before, and I feel like I probably said The Sandman then. But after watching the TV adaptation of, I think it's issue eight or issue seven, 24 hours is the name of the issue. And it basically takes place in a secluded diner as Dr. Destiny drives everyone around him slowly insane. And the East coast descends into chaos. And we keep seeing, you know, hints of terrible things happening outside, giant storms, chaos, riots, things on fire. But our focus is on eight people in this, you know, quiet little diner. And it's so much more horrifying to see these eight people come to some pretty terrible ends than it would be to go to that macro scale and see, you know, the world in chaos and buildings on fire, dogs and cats living together. What you really get is just such a terrifying moment of quiet. And of course, only one person walks out of the diner alive, which is both horrible and also kind of inspired. But then I started thinking about, can I just pick that issue? Because then there's also the story of Orpheus. And then there's also the story that takes place in a literal city of the dead. And then there's also, and there's also, and there's also. So I had to say my number five is basically the Sandman, all 70, however odd many issues, because it is some scary, scary stuff. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Rodrigo, what do you have for your number five? Uh, my number five is a comic that I like very much. Uh, it's Hellboy. Yeah. Um, and it, the thing is, is that Hellboy is actually not a, a very scary comic most of the time. It's a dark comic. But I think part of the reason for that is that we're following along with Hellboy, who is himself pretty powerful, right? Um, 
But if you stop reading and you just kind of take a look at the art, man, is there some like freaky art in probably every volume of Hellboy. Yeah, especially if it's Mignola uh, drawing it. Yeah. Yeah, Mike Mignola has uh, an absolute gift for drawing uh, scary monsters, creepy locations, and like just kind of messed up little guys. Like every once in a while, there'll be like a panel and there's a messed up little guy and he interjects something and you're like, Ugh. so yeah, it's got to be Hellboy for me for my number five. Again, when I think back on it, I don't ever remember being like spooked by it. But it like it just gives such a vibe that it's yeah it's mm-hmm. very scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my number five is the Department of Truth uh, from James Tynan the fourth and uh, Martin Simmons, I believe, is the first arc artist. So, what Department of Truth is is a person who uh, this guy Cole Turner uh, who followed uh, conspiracy theories all his life, just really into all of that stuff, but he never really thought about what if all of these things are real? And then all of a sudden he discovers that they're all real and he becomes part of this department of truth, uh, a government organization that's been covering up all of these cryptids and UFOs and JFK assassinations and creepy monster dudes that walk out. And the reason why I have this on here, because you might be thinking, well, conspiracy theories by themselves aren't scary, but as Cole's adventure moves on, it looks like he may have been like groomed to be part of this organization. At one point, he's got a bunch of missing time and he's had his own experiences in the past. There's a whole thing with the Mothman that is, is pretty creepy, but the fact that the department of truth treats all conspiracy theories as if they are actually real and really leans into the whole narrative of all these conspiracy theories is true And what makes that scary, especially in this day and age, is that there are a lot of people who might pick up the Department of Truth and look at it as their manual or their manifesto for things going forward. So to me, that is very scary. And that is why the Department of Truth, and I want to say that this is uh, Image Comics, uh, is my number five scary comic. We have moved out of our number fives. And we are ready to step up one level to our number four scary comic. And Matthew, scary. what do you have for your number four scary comic? My number four is actually one of my favorite comics in recent years. And it's from a writer that before this book, I don't think anybody had really been aware of. But I had heard of him because I read the original issues uh, back when he was writing Mighty Avengers at Marvel. But then he kind of moved up in the world, and they gave him one of the headliner titles, especially coming out of the Avengers movie. And so Al Ewing, Al Ewing rather, and so Al Ewing relaunched the Hulk as the Immortal Hulk. And rather than dealing with the oh no, he's this man who has you know personal problems, and he turns into an angry rage monster. Instead, we started seeing the Hulk as this force of nature and the very first issue of immortal hulk has this ongoing thing where bruce banner keeps telling people how they don't want to see what happens they don't want him angry and it's this really neat running gag and somebody shoots him they kill him they bury him in the desert and as soon as the sun goes down the hulk climbs out of his grave 
and we see the shooter at his house and it plays just like a horror movie. Something's coming at his house. Something is stalking him. He runs out the back door and he comes face to face with the Hulk. And it's not like, you know, crazy Hulk. This is something that harkens back to the original Frankenstein Hulk that Jack Kirby wrote in 62. And just the most terrifying panels, horrifying, crazy, evil Hulks. And then from there, it gets even creepier. They redesigned the abomination. The abomination was always a guy with three fingers and webbed ears and looked really ridiculous. The abomination in Immortal Hulk triggers all of my body horror yuck just it is awful it's horrible he has a face inside of a clawed hand on the top of an arm that's also his neck i can't really describe it because i'm i'm literally getting hives right now and i think i'm going to fall out of my chair but if you have not read immortal hulk or if you think oh it's just another weird hulk book it is not it is a horror story set in the marvel universe with one of the original marvel heroes as the horror and it's just remarkable that they're able to pull this off. They literally turned, you know, the Hulk, Arg, I like beans, me and Banner, bird nose punch. And they turned him into Michael Myers and they made it work for like four years. So I think it's all collected now because it's a recent Marvel book and everything's collected. But my number four, Immortal Hulk, highly, highly recommended. Scary, scary. Very nice. Yeah, that is a pretty scary story. At least the art looks really scary mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. So. Joe Bennett does just, oh, terrifying hulks. Cool. Uh, Rodrigo, what do you have for your number four? Uh, my number four is uh, the first volume, because that's all I've read, of Gideon Falls. Um, we oh, read yeah. that on the mm-hmm. show. Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. And I have I have a, a, a sneaking suspicion that it probably gets less, it gets less scary past issue one or past the first volume, because that's kind of when we learn the nature of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably maybe turns a little bit more into an adventure. I don't know. But that first volume is very scary, very creepy. Uh, again, you know, so much of what makes for a scary, creepy comic is the art. And there's that, like, weird laughing face motif mm-hmm. that keeps showing up that is tied to sort of the villain of the piece. Uh, it's very, very weird, very unsettling, very creepy uh, in, in a very good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Uh, both of your number five and my number four were in my uh, runnings to to make my sure. list. Yeah. So I can understand where that's coming for, uh, from. My number four, though, is one that I've talked about before and talked about quite a bit before. Uh, when I first stumbled across this series, Lock and Key, Welcome to Lovecraft, the first volume of the Lock and Key Adventure. I read this and I was like, this is terrifying. This is a bunch of kids who are being terrorized by a, a a serial killer who murdered their parents and wanted to murder everyone or murdered the father and wanted to murder everyone in the household. The mother is, um, has got a, a, you know, she's got a leg that doesn't work anymore because of the attack. Uh, they kind of, they don't flee, but they move across the country back to the father's ancestral home uh, of Lovecraft. Uh, and they live in the manor house. And as the killer breaks out of jail, because he hears voices that tell him to do things. And then we realize that the voices are coming from a well at the, at the lock house. Um, things start to become more terrifying as these two storylines start to converge. And then of course the kids discover all of these magical keys in the house that give them powers or allow them to do things when they use them at, at the house. And when I first read this, I had no idea who, who Joe Hill was. 
Um, uh, the art by Gabriel Rodriguez is fantastic, but I had no idea who Joe Hill was. And as I finished this, the first volume way back in the day, I was like, wow, this is like Stephen King, but better. And then I come to find out that Joe Hill is Stephen King's son. But the story of of the lock uh, kids and the keys and the lock house and the city of Lovecraft and the the creepy spirit that is trying to break into this world is just fantastic. If you've seen the Netflix series, you're getting something that is a little scary, but nothing like reading the comic book. So if you watch the Netflix series and you're like, "Eh, I'm intrigued, I would say go and read the lock and key comic books because they are fantastic and uh, they will they will scare you in in very kind of scary ways. Like uh, if you don't like child endangerment, hey, guess what? This one's got it in here. If you don't like, uh, uh, you know, creepy people killing your your loved one and impersonating them. Hey, this has got it in there. If you don't like body horror, hey, guess what? Lock and Key has got plenty of body horror for you. If you like gore. magic stuff, gore, it's all here. Lock and Key, my number four scary comic. Uh, right. Lock and Key is my number three. Oh, your number three. Ooh. Why did you put it at your number three? Uh, I put it at my number three because it does. It is like it's a it's a comic that really accomplishes being both like an adventure comic and also a, a consistently scary comic. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, oh, like it also it also kind of earns a lot of those beats, right? You know, you talk about like uh, so, some people don't like child endangerment, but. That is that is significantly like it just comes about differently when the protagonists are the children, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's what ends up happening a lot is you know kids are in danger, but the protagonists are the kids, right? It's like if you if you watch Goonies, you're not like they're endangering those kids. They're like, how are the Goonies going to get out of this? Right. Um, so I think it comes honestly to a lot of its body horror and its gore and all that stuff. It it just kind of. That's set up well enough that is both very scary and creepy and unsettling, but also it feels earned. And I think that it's not only the story situation, too, because I mentioned Gabriel Rodriguez is a fantastic artist. His art takes that just creepy factor of the look in a villain's eyes or in someone's eye and totally draws you into, oh, crap, something's going to happen. Yeah, very expressive. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it, is, it is really good and it's very detailed. And if you follow him on on uh, Instagram or Twitter, you can see a lot of his in progress stuff and just look at the attention to detail that he puts into things like, oh, I need to put a scar here. Or I need to put a stretchy bit of skin here or I need to put this whisker here. It's 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 really, really good. So, yeah. Also, like uh, the, the same character in multiple forms. Right. Mm-hmm, and right. you can tell that it's still the same character, but also they're changed enough that you can also believe that the characters don't recognize them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. Very good. Uh, We've uh, made our entry into number three with uh, Rodrigo's Lock and Key. Matthew, what do you have for your number three? The thing that's really hard to to really quantify is what is scary. And I think that what's scary changes from person to person. And what's really weird is it'll change as you age. So like when I was younger, I was afraid of, oh, I don't know, but giant monkeys or terrible people coming and hitting you with sticks. But I remember, I mean, both of those things are still very scary. Oh, absolutely. But they're not as scary. Like right now, if you say to me, what's scary, I'm like, well, uh, last night, my sister-in-law backed into our new car and I'm not sure if we can afford the uh, deductible to pay it. But if you asked me when I was five years old, what was scary? I would tell you this comic book that I read 
And this is actually a true story. And it may be one of the reasons why I didn't get into comics until I was a little bit older. I was 11 or 12 before I started really reading comics regularly. But I remember being in grade school and reading an issue of The House of Secrets. So my number three is The House of Secrets, number 127 from DC Comics, came out in the fall of 75. So if I read it anywhere at a point where it might have been even close to, you know, accurate in terms of its time period, couldn't have read this before I was eight. But the story is the story of a pool player who cheats. And you think, okay, Rod Serling did a really, really great uh, episode of The Twilight Zone about a pool player. But this particular story ends with a moment that haunted me. I literally had nightmares. And when I finally went to look this comic up, when I was you know, an adult and had access to a comic shop and all the things necessary to find where this story was, I read it. And I read it. This is important. I read it at my desk in my comic shop, surrounded by the comics that I was in charge of taking care of. So this was this was almost as much of a my place, like my safe place as humanly possible. And when I read the last page of this story, where the guy ends up shrunken down and ends up on the pool table, and the last panel is someone hitting the ball and wiping this splotch of red gunk off of the ball, And we know, oh, my God, that's the guy we've been following for the whole story. Just revulsion, just shivers of revulsion. And I was in my 40s when I read this again, still scared me. Maybe the scariest comic book I have ever read. Read it again today just to verify that it still holds its power. It does. It still holds its power. And I want you to know, Marv Wolfman, you're still out there. You are you're a genius and a titan in the field, but I'll never forgive you for this story. Joe Orlando, I believe, did the art. He is no longer with us. I may forgive him, but only because he's no longer with us. But if you ever get a chance uh, to buy this issue, it'll probably end up in a quarter bin somewhere. House of Secrets number 127. The story is about a game of pool, and it may be the reason why I don't play pool anymore. Go. All right. My number three is American Vampire from DC Comics, written by Scott Snyder with art by Raphael Albuquerque, another fantastic artist. Uh, you know, vampires, I think they're kind of scary. Uh, the fact that we have different kinds of vampires with different kinds of powers in this series, I think, is really kind of interesting as well. Uh, this series has been going on for many years now if it's still going on or it started many years ago, right around the time that the vampire craze was getting kicked up a notch. So everybody was doing this. But what I like about this is the fact that the main vampire that we follow from his creation uh, through the decades of his, his birth, what is his name? Skinner something. Um, And just the fact that he has sweet. Yeah. Skinner sweet. The fact that he has zero remorse the fact that he is just driven to preserve himself regardless of, you know, his vampire clan or regardless of those who created him. He is trying to, in certain situations, he's trying to tear down the the European of vampires. Uh, at the same time, there are, um, you know, American vampires that have been here way before America even settled. But to see him move through the decades and try to track his his 
child, uh, I guess is the best way to describe it. And just the chaos that ensues whenever he's around is kind of scary because even though there are no such thing as, as vampires, there are people that act like Skinner sweet. And that again is kind of terrifying. I think what Scott Snyder does best is he, he may not be doing this intentionally, but I like to read a lot of things into stuff. And at times it feels like, okay, I'm making a commentary about something that's happening right now. And you know, who's really sucking the heart of America out, uh, you know, in, in his case, he's doing vampires, but maybe he's talking about something else in the process. And I find that uh, I find that terrifying. So American Vampire, really great series to go track down. It's from DC Comics. You'll find it under its Vertigo imprint. Also, it's Black Label imprint. Uh, so uh, American Vampire, my number three. Mm-hmm. All right. We are now into our number twos. And Matthew, we are back around to you for your number two. What you got? Wow. My number two is probably going to be surprising, uh, given some of the banter that you and I have been involved in in the past, oh, I don't know, 15 years here at Major Spoilers. It is Arkham Asylum, a serious house on serious earth. It is a Batman story, and it may be the scariest individual comic of the 1980s. And The thing that really, really always sticks with me after reading Arkham Asylum is for years, people had joked about how, oh, well, Batman just beats up mentally ill people and the homeless. This is a story that actually took that, contextualized it, made it part of the story, and then turned it back around and made it scarier than ever. Um, and the thing that always sticks with me is there's a moment where Batman is on the phone with the Joker and he's talking about the, uh, he's holding several uh, Arkham Asylum inmates hostage and he's talking about the new young intern. And Batman keeps hearing this noise, this, and it's played really, really well. It's drawn by uh, Dave McKeon. So the interiors are done very subtly. You just keep hearing this noise, or in this case, seeing the uh, sound effect. And finally, the Joker holds up a pencil that he has just sharpened and explains to Batman that this girl has the most beautiful eyes he's ever seen. Click, hangs up the phone. At no point does the Joker threaten to impale someone in the eyes with a super sharp pencil. None of that is there. There is nothing in the story, the dialogue, or the art that says the Joker is about to stab this poor woman in the brain. I know it. You know it. The Joker knows it. The Batman knows it. That is what that story was. That is exactly what that moment was. And it's just chilling to think about even now. Um, This is one of the earliest works that I read by Grant Morrison. Mm -hmm. Um, And Morrison is one of those creators that... I follow. I mean, I follow them from uh, at one point Morrison and um, oh, who is their mortal enemy? The Scottish guy. Uh, Alan I Moore. No, the other guy. Oh, uh, I don't remember. I anyway, he, I know that he and Alan Moore go back and forth all the time. So sure, but Alan Moore is not Scottish. It's um, Miller Boyd? Mark huh? Miller. Yes, Morrison and Miller used to write Flash together. Uh, back when Wally West was the Flash, and that's what brought me back to Flash after several months. And then I followed 
them to JLA. And of course, I feel like multiversity may be the greatest uh, DC event since Crisis on Infinite Earth. So, I mean, I'm not going to say that Grant Morrison can do no wrong, but Grant Morrison writes a really fine comic. And this book combined with that art and just the subtlety and the sheer horror of seeing all of these villains through new eyes, seeing Maxi Zeus, not as a guy who claims he's a god, but as a guy who claims he's a god. And it's literally that little of a change, just that slight twist of these aren't, you know, ha-ha crazy people running around Gotham City with giant balloons and giant typewriters. These are seriously deranged individuals, and that makes them even more frightening because it makes them human. And they're still the Joker and Maxi Zeus and the Penguin and Two-Face. And boy, if you have not read this one, you are missing one of the best Batman stories of the modern era. I don't believe I think I've never read this one because when it was originally released, I believe it was one of the very first prestige format books that DC released. Uh, it was and it there, was yeah. a and it was a hardcover, if I remember correctly, in its first printing. And so mm -hmm. there was a cost issue. I think it was like 20 bucks when it released or something like that. It was very high. Mm -hmm for someone of my financial situation to buy. And then the mm -hmm. second thing, if I remember correctly, the interiors are not traditional art. It's like, uh, it's like yeah, it's a art house painted. project. It's all painted and everything. And yeah, Dave McKeon is one of the guys who uh, made his name with his covers for Sandman. Yeah. And, and very avant-garde, very, you know, untraditional stuff. And the art is very unsettling. So I remember looking through it at the comic book shop and just being horrified by a lot of the imagery. And uh, mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, no, I'm not reading this. And I just put it back and I've <laughs> never picked it up since. So I can see that why that's on your your number two. Uh, oh, Rodrigo, what do you have for your number two? Uh, my number two is um, a book that I encountered long after it had stopped being in print. Um, I kind of came across it in trades. Because when I was starting to get into comics, what I did was instead of buying comics, I would go to the library and retreat and read uh, trade paperbacks. So sometimes I'd be at the library and I'd be like, oh, here's like a whole JLA thing. And sometimes I'd be like, uh, this, there's something here that says like Tales from the Crypt. And, you oh, know, yeah, as a kid, yeah. I was like, I know Tales from the Crypt. That's where that spooky Muppet is from. <laughs> So I started reading some Tales from the Crypt, uh, and it was pretty good. Uh, I There's just something that was very charming about it to me. And as a kid, I wasn't, like, I wasn't, like, scared, scared of it. But I could tell that there was something about it that was, like, transgressive, um, at least for the time. And, of course, lots of stuff that I wouldn't see in superhero comics. Although, I started reading superhero comics in the 90s. So, if what you wanted to see is, like, people being decapitated or, you know, the 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 specter of assault or something like that, then, you know, that stuff was in there now. But, uh, yeah, it, it, like, so as an anthology, you know, you can read, you could like some of them, you could not like some of them, and it didn't really affect anything. Um, I was trying to find what exactly were the volumes that I had read, but it has been a long time, um, and I couldn't find a lot of... Uh, like, I, I could find the titles of the stories, but a lot of the titles are like, a, a moment for tomorrow. And it's like, 
I don't know. I don't know what this story is about. They're not like a hand that comes out of the ground and pulls on a lady's leg, right? That's not that's not what the stories are called. Um, but that's how I remember them. Uh, so yeah, my number two, the old tales from the crypt from Easy Comics. Yes, that oh, stuff yeah, those are always those are always good. I didn't put them on my, my yeah. list. They were on my list last time, but yeah, always always tales to to scare you and horrify you. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number two is one that we've reviewed the, I believe the entire series and a lot of the spinoffs here on the uh, major spoilers podcast network. You can find our major spoilers podcast, uh, wherever you find fine podcast, Apple Podcasts, for example. But my number two is Harrow County from Cullen Bunn and Tyler Crook. This is published mm-hmm. through dark horse comics. This is the tale about a young girl, Emmy who uh, has some powers and this takes place in, an undefined region of the South, but we can probably say Missouri, Arkansas kind of uh, kind of region uh, where uh, the haints and the ghouls and the snake witches and the uh, the crossroads are all present. And Emmy must come to grips and to terms with her powers that she has gotten, uh, as well as from her uh, question mark twin sister who has decided to go evil with her power. So you've got good and evil fighting for one another over the fate of uh, just kind of reality, but also Harrow County. But if you like good kind of Southern depression era horror stories, uh, Harrow County has it for you, including a little uh, creature that runs around with its skin off. So you can either have the skinless boy or you can have its skin in your satchel telling you what to do. Uh, If that doesn't uh, scare you, nothing will. Uh, but I would say check out Harrow <laughs> County because Tyler Crook does a fantastic job of bringing like literally when we talk about the skinless boy and we talk about like the goopy mess that is a skinned human being or, you know, creatures that are demons. There's a black goat of the woods that's running around in this uh, in this book. It's kind of I mean, it's scary just in how it looks. And I think he, uh, Tyler Crook, I believe, does his in watercolors. And so that just adds to the surreal horror that is this that is series so highly recommended it is my number two harrow county all right we have reached the top of our list matthew what do you have as your number one scary comic Ooh, my number one scary comic is and i think somewhat atypically for me the newest comic on the list and in a lot of ways the one that has the most recent impact on me because a lot of times when you get something and you're like, oh, this is scary, and then you think about it and you roll it over in your head, and you're like, oh, that wasn't scary. That was just unnerving, or the musical stinger went off, or you just you know, banged your finger really, really hard on the edge of a desk, and it, and it hurts, but you're not going to scream because you're on a podcast. You know, These things will really get to you, but there is something about my number one, Ice Cream Man, and the almost existentialist horror of ice cream man that sticks with me after multiple readings after, you know, several goes through of the entire run of the book and multiple readings of issue one, multiple readings of the, the issue that is literally a palindrome that reads the same back to front, but still works as a story or the issue that is essentially a crossword puzzle where the story actually comes out in the clues. It's it's something that almost feels like it shouldn't work. It's like the artist is showing off. The artist is trying to be all wacky and avant-garde, and we're going to do these weird things, and it feels like this shouldn't go. It should not be this scary. It should not feel me fill me with this sense of dread, and yet it does. 
And even, and I actually went back and I looked because I've been reviewing it off and on for the website since it came out. The lowest score that I've ever given an issue of Ice Cream Man was three and a half stars, which is, you know, a little bit above average. Most of them, I'm like, oh my God, this was so scary, or this was incredible, or this was over the top crazy. And if you were to sit down and read, you know, the first arc or the first two arcs, I don't know. I can't guarantee that you'll enjoy it because, as I said, horror and what's scary is very personal. It's very subjective. But I also feel like you'll enjoy it if you have a brain that works anywhere like mine. Um, And the really weird part about it is the things that I hate the most are actually in this story and part of the scares and somehow makes it more interesting if that makes sense, like the body horror things that make me crazy or the the ideas of insects coming around and being like, oh, that's a wasp. I'm done here. Or even the, you know, the scary here's a child who's in danger. And the story is actually about, hey, we've put this child in danger. Teehee. Let's see what happens. All of these things should make me mad and generally do make me mad. But somehow in the pages of Ice Cream Man, you know, with Martin Morazzo's art and W. Maxwell Prince's story. I love them and I eat them. And it's not just because it says ice cream on the label. Although now that you mentioned it, I do need some ice cream. So that my friends is a scary, scary, my number scary one. All right. Rodrigo, what about you? What did you put in your top spot for scary comics? Uh, My number one is I, I, I really sat down and I was like, okay, what comic has actually made me like, like, yelp and like put it down um or what comic has actually scared me or you know done that thing where like you read something and you keep thinking about it for like days and days um and it led me to actually probably one of the earliest series that i ever read um it's called joyas de la mitología which means jewels of mythology um and it is a from what I can ascertain, a Mexican comic. Uh, basically, so Mexico has a huge and rich history of like pulp comics. Mm-hmm. Um, some of which are very racy, some of which are like bloody and 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 stuff. But many of which are very exciting, right? If you know about El Santo, El Santo had a lot of pulp stuff. If you know about Kaliman, Kaliman get like basically starts a little bit before that era but then just you know rides it out as one of like the most uh well-known sort of like pulp heroes in mexico um and so this was a uh, ostensibly educational uh series that was doing greek mythology to to the letter pretty much um but was using you know what what artists the artists were available which was pulp artists so um you know if you go and you look at like the Sistine Chapel or whatever and you see all of these like meaty boys like contorting and running around you're like yeah pulp art actually fits like super well to to any sort of like mythology um and uh but but they but the <laughs> the comic was still sort of trying to be sensational, right? So um, there were things that were like, okay, here's the story of um, 
I don't know what's a good what's a good mild one. Actually, forget about it. It's actually fine. It's actually difficult to think of a mild one. Persephone. Um, sure. Yeah, Persephone in and in the underworld, right? Yeah. So here's that story. Um, you know, Persephone looks hot, but that's about as as bad as it gets. Um, and then you have stuff like, oh, here's one that says it's the origin of the Greek gods, and then I'm reading it, and like Kronos is like devouring his children, yeah. and I'm like, Bleh. Um, <laughs> and likewise, you know, it's like here's the story of the um, the apple of discord, right? And it's like, oh, okay. So then what happens? Like, oh, now Paris has to pick between these goddesses, and they just like draw you some naked ladies on there. And I was like, what? <laughs> this better not awaken something in me, but it did <laughs> uh, immediately. It was, yeah. And like, because it was like Greek mythology, I was like, uh, can I read these comics? And my mom and my grandma were like, sure. Like, we want you to be educated and be into this stuff. And I'm like, great. Um, and then I was like, um, but yeah, it was actually, you know, the reason why I'm into mythology now is because it was started early for me um, reading these books and uh, they would like genuinely scare me and genuinely unsettle me. Like I'd be like, it's like, oh, here's Bellerophon, great hero doing cool stuff. But he was like, eh, the gods kind of suck. I can do my own thing. And so they send something to sting his horse and he falls off and he dies. And that's the end of the story. And I'm like looking at the next page and I'm like, that's, that's where the story ends. That's the end of it. And it's like, sure is. I guess not all stories have a happy ending, kid. And I was like, wow, the Greeks were ferocious. Yeah. Yeah, they were. Very yeah. cool. Very, very cool. All right. My number one is actually uh, from my uh, previous time that we did uh, Scary Comics, and it is The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Uh, I I know that the Afterlife with Archie series is a lot uh, more popular with kids who like the zombies and the the creepy crawlies or the Jughead as a Werewolf series. Uh, that one's pretty good, too. But uh, give me some uh, spawn of Satan uh, running around and... Maybe uh, Sabrina needing to decide whether she's going to marry Satan or not, uh, having her father inhabit the body of her boyfriend and they go on a date. Oh, man, that is some creepy stuff. And uh, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa does a great job of coming up with this maddening, scary tales in the short run series that occasionally we will get a uh, another issue from. But uh, they're about six years between issues. And then you got the great Robert Hack art in this. And, oh, my God, it is so good, you guys. It is got the scary art. It's got the scary situations. It doesn't have a defined time period, but you can tell it's definitely picking up its inspirations from the 50s and the kind of gothic horror tone that you saw from uh, the goth gothic horror um, um, books that your mom may have read uh, back when you were a child. Uh Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, just top notch. If you like the TV series, then that is uh, granted. You're getting a lot more of the TV series than you are in the comic book, but the comic book is still top notch. So if you get a chance, go check out Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, my number one scary comic for uh, 2022, this 2022 edition that we have. And I think that wraps it up. That's where we're going to uh, let everybody go this week. Thank you so much for checking us out. If you found some value in this, if you found some good comic book recommendations, then uh, how about to joining our Patreon page? We've got a growing community of awesome super fans over there, and uh, you can get in there as well and check out all of the bonus stuff that you get when you become a patron. It's 
real easy to sign up. It doesn't cost you very much a month. In fact, you can kind of name your price, essentially. Uh, but we do have some tiers that unlock some special rewards, like our Discord server. Secret channels on our Discord server that you can go in and talk with other Patreon members exclusively, away from all the other uh, people. Now, if you don't want to join the Patreon, I understand. It's completely okay. Uh, you can still join our Discord server absolutely free. You won't get access to the secret channels, but you will get access to the top five channel where you can go in and discuss this episode. You can talk about uh, your uh, top five scary comics. Other people are going to talk about their top five scary comics. Everyone's going to read everyone else's lists. Why? Because everyone loves a list. And we will talk with you again very soon. This podcast is copyright 2022 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.